Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. Minnesota Vikings. The NFL. Football. Yeah, football. Welcome to Purple Podcast. Well, welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Sage Rosenfels is off on vacation this week, and happy Thanksgiving to you all. Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus sitting in for our journeyman quarterback of the week. We will get to that at the end, and we've got a good one for a franchise where it's not always easy to find the journeyman quarterbacks. Eric, how are you? I'm good, man. Now, while I've never played quarterback before in anything, I do play quarterback for the PFF Life football team, so I do feel some sort of connection to Sage here. I mean, you guys are basically on the same level as far as quarterback knowledge, I think, then. I, right? I think so. I mean, I think so. Yeah, and I mean, you're only 30 career touchdowns behind him in the NFL, so, you know, I mean, it's not that far. It's not as big of a gap. You can catch up. No, that's for sure. So what I, what I want uh, for you, Eric, is to help me understand some things about the Minnesota Vikings offense, and then we can get to the Green Bay Packers and this huge game on Sunday Night Football, which I, I'd like to start out by sort of chuckling to myself a bit about when you ask players and coaches about a big game and it's very clear that playing the green bay packers with your season on the line on sunday night football is big that it's never big to them right they've never thought of it you're the first person to mention ever that this is a big game and they don't see how eric sorry like i don't they don't know what you're talking about big game i don't know what you mean but this one can you explain just how important this one is for the Vikings in their second half of the season or final stretch run of the season to making the playoffs. Yeah, it's interesting considering there's like no discernible difference between Cousins record uh, on primetime games and all other games that he simply doesn't pay attention to this. Uh, Yeah. So we have, you know, we have the Vikings actually as a team that's still sort of a front runner to make the playoffs in the NFC North or in the NFC. Um, a little bit over 50, 60% of the time. Green Bay is further down the list, uh, you know, actually substantially given that they've, they've missed out on some tiebreakers. They still haven't won a road game yet. But I do think if the Packers were to come into U.S. Bank Stadium and upset Minnesota, it would turn the tide a, a, quite a bit, especially, you know, making Minnesota going from, you know, a, a probable playoff team to a team that's very much on the outside looking in 
uh, at five, five and one. So it's a, it's a huge game. I think for Green Bay, they have a ton of, you know, motivation from not only trying to get themselves back into, uh, the playoff discussion, but they want to win their first road game of the season. Uh, they, you know, Mike McCarthy surely wants to have people stop talking about how poorly of a job he's doing. Uh, and Aaron Rodgers, uh, probably wants to, to beat a Vikings team that knocked him out uh, of the season a year ago for the first time since then. So tell me about what this Vikings offense is, has to do to get itself to be any sort of contender. Because I, I look at the other night, and they're playing a, a top defense that's got a really good case in Chicago for being the number one defense in the NFL. When you look at who the Vikings are facing here in Green Bay, just an okay defense, which is an improvement from the past, but it's not a great yep. defense. Seattle yep. is nowhere near the Seattle of before. They've got the Lions at some point here before facing the Bears in Week 17. Miami is nothing special on defense either. Uh, a couple of days separated from the game. Overreaction or nah when it comes to what happened against Chicago and where this offense actually is? It's interesting because as you talked about before and we talked about, the Vikings really haven't played anybody this year, uh, or at least they haven't beaten anybody this year. And so to watch them play a team whose strength was defense, uh, it was actually, you know, in hindsight, rather predictable in terms of what happened. They were not efficient on early downs. Um, which caused them to, you know, get into later downs. And on later downs, your offensive, you know, your offensive line very much becomes exposed. And, and we saw that. We said this season the Vikings are, are the worst team in the NFC in terms of early down rushing success. Now, whether that's because you're running too much on second and long or, you know, whether you're running too much on first and long and you're not, you know, you're not generating a push up front, it is something that it, that is concerning. Now they weren't very efficient running the ball a season ago. However, what they did is they were able to get their early down plays successful to Diggs and Thielen. They were able to throw the ball specifically to Jarek McKinnon out of the backfield to get them out of those long yard situations. And so their quarterback, Case Keenum, was not put in a position and their offensive line was not put in a position to look like a fish out of water nearly as much as, as Cousins was when they played uh, a great defense the other night. So, if I'm looking at ways for this Vikings team to be successful moving forward, I don't necessarily think it's what Zimmer suggested, which is to run the ball more and run the ball more efficiently. I think what it, what the Vikings need to do is to scheme up passes on early downs to get into second and three, to get into second and two, pick up early first downs, use those great receivers and their ability not only before the catch, but after the catch. Give your offensive line a little bit of a break with the pass rush doesn't know necessarily if it's a run or pass, Give yourself that opportunity and then mix in runs kind of as a surprise as opposed to something you're always sort of doing on first and second down. So, so this brings up a, an interesting point because I, I've gotten emails and tweets about this quite a bit where Vikings fans are concerned that Mike Zimmer wants to go back to 1991 and start handing the ball to Terry Allen over and over again and <laughs> uh, pounding up the middle for three or four yards, and I, I don't think that that's really it, Eric. I mean, I, I think that what Zimmer is talking about with the run game is a way to point the finger sort of at Filippo and how he's handled the entire offense. It's a way to criticize the offense without criticizing Kirk Cousins because Zimmer is not going to criticize Cousins. It does him no good to do so. If he stands up there and goes, yeah, Cousins, man, what what's with the picks? 
Like, he doesn't want to alienate his quarterback that he knows is going to be his guy for, for three years. And also, what good does it do? You can't take him back. You can't go mm-hmm. back to Sunday and go, you know, if I trash him, that'll erase what happened. I think that he's directing his frustration toward why don't we run more um, because that's the only place that he can really put it. I, I don't know that he actually thinks that, and I'm sure that he understands that when you are down in games 30-13 to 13 against New Orleans, 22-6 to 6 against the Chicago Bears, that you have to pass the ball every play. Yeah, and again, it, I, I would agree with you. I think, you know, obviously most of it's on the quarterback, but an offensive coordinator has a lot of influence. Kirk Cousins, if you look at our quarterback grades, I'm more looking at sort of play-to-play. Of the top, you know, I believe 20 quarterbacks in the league, Cousins is the only one that on a per-play dropback is generating negative expected points. So every time Cousins drops back on average, the Vikings are getting further away from scoring. Now that's that's extremely damning considering that Cousins has been accurate on about 80% of his passes if you throw out drops uh, and batted balls. And okay, how, like that. how does that happen? How does, how does that work? Well, I think it's a couple things. It's it's that that seven-yard pass to Diggs is occurring on on second and 13, right, where you've schemed up a poor run play on first and 10, and those seven yards matter they're on the on the statute. They're the same seven yards that Cam Newton is getting, but Cam Newton's throwing those seven yards on second and four, right? And so from an expected points perspective, you are, you know, the Panthers are getting a lot more value for those seven yards than the Vikings are, for example. And I think, you know, is that Cousins' fault? I think to some degree we should expect Cousins to drive the ball past the sticks more often, but at the same time, you know, if he's being asked to turn around and hand the ball off on too many first down and tens, and they're not efficient there, that's not necessarily his fault as much as it is the offensive coordinator. So I do think it's telling it. You know, I tweeted out this graphic the other day of, you know, basically NFL quarterbacks and their PFF grade versus their expected points. And the guys like Trubisky are getting a, a lot more for the PFF grade. So, you know, you see Nagy is getting a lot more out of average play from Trubisky than, for example, Filippo is getting out of, I think, slightly above average play from Cousins. It's stark, and I and I do think you can attribute some of that to coaching. So I, I realize just today, looking at the numbers, that the New York Giants and Pat Shermer, who his name is coming up quite a bit now, that Mike Zimmer threw DeFilippo under the bus on Monday and ran him back over on uh, <laughs> Wednesday. And and look, I mean, this is this is Zimmer for you. And if you don't like it, you can leave. Basically, is the way that uh, he's always put it with the coaches and and players too. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But you knew that when you got to a point of frustration that this is this is where he is going to go, that he's not going to just be quiet about it. But there are some amazing numbers with this offense. I, I brought up on the Purple Live show that the Denver Broncos actually score on a higher percentage of their drives. What I didn't realize is that Pat Shermer and the New York Giants, their passing game is just as effective as the Minnesota Vikings. And that's one that we've laughed at, right? I mean, just... Eli yep. Manning, and he's completely shot. In terms of the pro football reference expected points, they're about the same. They're they're number 18 and number 19. And some of the other stats, when you look at your adjusted net yards per attempt, net yards per attempt, yards per attempt, I mean, the Giants are either equal or better than the Vikings. And I don't think that we ever would have expected that. And especially, you talk about bad offensive line. I mean, not only did the Giants have a worse quarterback by miles, but have even a worse offensive line than the Vikings, and still 
they're getting just as much out of that. I mean, I think that that says a lot about where we're at with the scheme. And so I got a, a good email about this from someone just with Kirk and, and who you're blaming and this sort of thing. And, and I think it's a, it's a combination of the two things that you have a quarterback who is very far from perfect and has some glaring deficiencies and an offensive coordinator who isn't doing a whole heck of a lot to help him. And now the spotlight is really on John Filippo. Yeah, absolutely. Eli Manning on a per play basis is averaging a little bit under zero and two in terms of expected points per drop back, but his PFF grade is like one third on a per play basis of what, you know, basically Cousins is generating a positively graded throw three times more often than, uh, than Eli Manning is. So obviously like if you're in a, if, if, you know, Cousins is in a position to make those positive throws and they're not turning into points for his team, you really have to wonder about the, kind of environment that he's in is probably in worse environments and you can't tell me that yeah i know saquon barkley is a is a very good player but you can't tell me that on the outside where it counts you'd rather have odell beckham jr and sterling shepherd than you would adam Thielen and stefan diggs right so they're working with more in minnesota in my opinion on the outside and it's still not you know coming necessarily uh to fruition for them okay so i've got a bunch of stats that i wrote um for an article about which issues are solvable? So we've diagnosed the issues here repeatedly on the podcast, and I think deservedly so since the concern is real for this offense. But I'm just going to go through them, and you could tell me whether you think this is something that's going to be improved, can be improved, or not. And the, the place to start is with the turnovers. I mean, that's a huge part of Kirk's making all the great throws that you're talking about, and they're getting good grades on PFF. But when you have two of those throws – float into other people's hands out of nowhere um, that's not good and when you're the top fumble guy in the league over the last four years and have carried that over here with a bad offensive line that's hurting their offense too uh, turnovers I mean is there any way to predict where you would go in the next six games yeah I do think that you know in terms of cousins he has and he has consistently limited the number of negatively graded throws we have however he does have you know, I would say a little bit above league, well, a little bit above league average in terms of how many of those negatively graded throws are turnover worthy. So it is strange because I do think the offense is somewhat conservative. It doesn't ask him to go downfield as much. It doesn't ask him to put the ball in harm's way. And yet when it does, he is sort of producing these turnover worthy plays uh, more often. Turnovers are a very noisy thing in the NFL. I would say if you're looking at the Vikings and their fumble tendencies so far, I do think some of those will start to be recovered by Minnesota Vikings players as opposed to other players. But for Cousins, I think that this is a trend where he just, and this is probably why he's a 500 quarterback and probably will be for a long time, is that he does not seem to, against good teams, be able to string together enough good throws successively. And it's those good teams that take advantage uh, of the mistakes that he makes. And, and so I, you know, the, the the statistician in me wants to say, okay, this will regress a little bit. He'll put together some games where his negatively graded throws, like Trubisky throwing the ball straight to uh, Xavier Rhodes, those will get dropped at times. But the other side of me says, well, Cousins, it always seems like there is just just one thing or two things a game that keeps him arm's length away from actually winning against a good team. So I'm a little torn on that. And when you talk about a team that throws the ball 40 times a game, basically, and uses all those short passes – well, with a guy who can be turnover prone to begin with, you're basically giving him more opportunities to get strip sacked or more opportunities to throw those picks. And they're often playing from behind. I think that that's a, a little bit of the case, too, that 
when you're playing from behind, sometimes you can you can make mistakes there trying to do too much or, or whatever the, the case might be. I, I think when he throws that pick uh, on the throw to Kyle Rudolph where he just airmails him and it's picked off by the safety, even if Kyle Rudolph clears the, the first level defender, I mean, there's a safety right there where he was going anyway. So, like, I mean, this is this is a situation where Cousins is down two touchdowns and he's trying to make a play. And so I think it's it's everything compiling there on the turnovers. Uh, the other stat, now we talked a little bit about the running, but second down running. So Zimmer had talked about wanting to run more on second down. Well, they're 31st in yards per carry running on second down. Can they fix that? Uh, the only way that they can fix second down running is to be more efficient on first down. Mm-hmm. Like second and 10 is a, is a sucker play. You know, right. And, and honestly, we do uh, a little bit of decision analysis. The Vikings are actually in the top 10 in the NFL in making the, the, the positive decision on second down and long. So they are doing that at a good rate. They're not being as efficient there because they've had terrible success running the football. But to me, running on second down is a very, you know, you're basically saying, I trust Kirk to convert third and long half the time. So I, I think we're we're on the same page there. Like the second and long running is just not a great plan unless you think you could get seven yards. I mean, if you could get seven yeah. yards, then fine. Like then you got third and three. But when does this team do that? Twenty third in touchdown percentage in the red zone. This is a kind of a Kirk Cousins staple is struggling in the red zone. And if you can't run in the red zone, which they did a lot last year, I don't see this one getting fixed. Yeah, and so. Uh, this is another thing where we talked about in the offseason is his red zone lack of efficiency a thing. We both said, you know, it's a little bit unstable, but again, it, it sort of coincides with some of the Kirkyisms, which is to fumble a lot and to have difficulties, you know, under pressure and throwing the ball into tight windows. He was very efficient early this season in the red zone. People, you know, writing articles about how he's had a renaissance and then of late he's had some more difficulty. So, you know, I would sort of default back to what he's always been, which is a guy who, you know, he's got great weapons. He has a, you know, he can make some very beautiful throws. You remember opening day that Rudolph, he, you know, he's had some brilliant plays down there. But I would say, you know, if if you're looking for somewhere for him to improve, I, I think red zone efficiency is just not one of them. Yeah, and part of it is that usually those guys, those quarterbacks who are really good there, and we saw this with Case, the pocket presence is a thing. The patience yeah. is a thing. Sometimes with, I mean, Teddy, they used to hand it off to Adrian Peterson every play. So it's harder to say with him. But, you know, the anticipation and other quarterbacks have been able to find Kyle Rudolph in the end zone and not so much uh, Kirk Cousins. And that seems like it'd be a slam dunk to just be able to throw it up to him and use the thing that he does best. Now, here's a disturbing one, though. The lack of screens and the lack of play action they are 22nd in play action percentage with Kirk Cousins. And I just, how in the world is that? Like this, this guy is about as good as it gets at operating play action. There are very few people, you've mentioned this on the podcast before, but there are very few people who are consistently good on play action and you got one. And yet they are not using him anywhere near enough. And you could say that's because they're losing, but I guess I would come back with who cares if you're losing? still use the plays because they're effective. Yeah, and we've seen we've seen a, a, a little bit of a renaissance in terms of the idea that play action does not depend upon how good you are as a running back game. So if you're an offensive coordinator, you can throw sort of self-awareness out of the uh, 
you know, to the wind here. The Vikings aren't a great running team, but it actually wouldn't matter if they were to run play action. Kirk has been consistently good there. And what's really interesting is even if he wasn't consistently good there, to predict future performance on play action, you basically just use a team supporting cast, and the Vikings are extremely good, as we've said on the outside with Diggs and Thielen. It is one of those things where they're basically free yards. It's like, you know, a basketball player that can't hit their free throws. If you're not, if you're not get, you know, running play action, you know, 30% of the time, uh, and you're a struggling offense, you're just not trying hard enough. So I do think that it is time for them to start, you know, doing it. If you watch the Rams, uh, uh, Chiefs game the other night, the running games were a no threat for either team. And yet the Rams were running play action on almost all of their under center plays and they were extremely effective doing so. So it, it, it is one of those rare hacks, and I think the great teams are doing it, and the, and the and the teams that are lagging behind are not. And this was supposed to be an offensive coordinator who was ahead of the game and in that conversation, and I think that he has so far come up short on that, and I guess we'll see where it goes uh, as we as we go down the stretch. But when it was Matt Nagy versus John DeFilippo, uh, round one there went clearly to Matt Nagy, especially in creativity, play action, no pressures for Everson Griffin, which per the pro football focus stats was the first time that's happened when he's played the whole game in the Mike Zimmer era. And when I watch the tape, every play is rolling away from Everson Griffin because they know how dangerous he is. Um, of course, they rolled into Daniil Hunter, who had seven pressures, but still, you know, pick your poison on that. Uh, let's let's look at this Packers team on defense. Kenny Clark is a monster. And they let Akeem Hicks ruin their game plan by running right at him senselessly. And I guess if you're a Vikings fan, you're very concerned that they're going to do the same thing with Kenny Clark and let him ruin your game plan. Yeah, and Mike Daniels being out really does help Minnesota here. He's a great player. But Ken Clark, a first-round pick uh, a few years ago, is every bit as good as as Mike Daniels can be at times. Green Bay on early down uh, run plays is allowing less than 40% of those plays uh, to be successful. So, you know, if the Vikings just want to run, run straight at him, uh, they're going to, they're going to have a difficult time of it. And, you know, what, what we've seen then with them is Kyler Fackerel. He's had a good season, uh, you know, kind of rebounding from a very slow start to his career. He had an amazing night the other night against an improving Seattle Seahawks offensive line. They run a lot of defensive backs, which I think is generally a good, a good tactic in the NFL, but especially uh, against a team like Minnesota that has very little by way of uh, threat in the running game and has very few receivers beyond their first two that can make anything happen. Uh, I think the Packers match up really good defensively with the Vikings. So the Packers overall on, on their defense, uh, I thought that them getting Mike Pettin would be a huge deal. And it looks like it kind of has been. I mean, they're in the, in the middle of the league in yards per play allowed. And they're doing pretty well against the pass in terms of net yards per attempt, things like that. Are they are they just an average defense, especially with Daniels out? Are they above average? What do you think that Pettin has done for them? Uh, what's their weakness? I mean, what are you making of Green Bay for a team that for so long we just sort of laughed at their defense? No, I think they're certainly improving. Uh, you know, as we've seen this year, you know, oftentimes it's just enough to get a couple players, as the Saints did last year, for example, and uh, and a new scheme to make things work. Uh, Jair Alexander was one of the best draft picks in the in the draft a season ago. Uh, he's been very good, not only covering on the outside or the inside, which is why I think they match up really well with the Vikings. He can probably take the Vikings' best receiver, even if he were to play in the slot. 
they put Tremont Williams at safety now that they got rid of HaHa Clinton Dix. They've drafted guys like Josh Jones, uh, 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 Josh Jackson, guys like that to, to sort of come in here and play. So, you know, I, I think that they're very much improved. I think that they've been a ball hawking defense at times, which means uh, that, uh, you know, they can, they can take advantage of some of the things that Kirk's probably going to give them. And so, yeah, I think they're not nearly as good as the Vikings, both personnel-wise and may probably even scheme-wise, but I do think that they're going to be more than enough to keep the Vikings from putting up the type of points that are going to make them a sure bet uh, uh, Sunday night. Okay, last thing for you before we get to journeyman quarterback of the week. With A.A. Ron, what do you make of his season? His pro football focus grade is spectacular. I saw that it was debated over uh, this weekend, his pro football focus grade, because he had a really good grade for the last game, in which he threw for something like 300 yards and rarely incompleted passes and threw for a bunch of touchdowns. But I guess that that wasn't what Packers fans saw in a loss. But uh, for the most part, he's had another great season, and they don't have a great team. And I guess I would ask, what is the deal with that? You know, I... I think that Rodgers is sometimes his own worst enemy because he doesn't trust the scheme. You know, he breaks pocket probably too quickly. Um, you know, he, I think he does, he, he doesn't necessarily nurture his receivers very well, especially the young ones. But at the same time, he makes all the throws. He, you know, he's, he's very good on his feet. He avoids pressure really well. He did struggle in that realm against Seattle. Seattle was very disciplined rushing him the other night and then did come up with some key sacks and key moments. Um, the Vikings have not necessarily been known for that in the past. Um, one of the things is, again, he's going to be a player whose PFF grade is not nearly re- as reflected on the scoreboard as others. So, for example, Drew Brees, on a per-play basis, has roughly the same grade as Aaron Rodgers, but his team is generating four times as many expected points per dropback a- as the Packers. So, you know, every one of Aaron Rodgers' air yards is being turned into about, you know, one passing yard, whereas Breeze, it's about a quarter of a passing yard more per every yard downfield he throws the ball. So Rodgers is not helped necessarily as much by his support, and I think a lot of that has to do with McCarthy, who whose play calling has become stale. So I think if there's any discrepancies between how efficient the Packers' passing offense is in and what what the opinion is of Aaron Rodgers, I think it's mostly you know uh, McCarthy filling the gap there. Okay, who is your Green Bay Packers journeyman quarterback of the week? Show some respect. Salute. I travel every road in this here land. It's time for Matthew and Sage to honor one of the NFL's great journeyman quarterbacks. I know the one you're going to pick, and I like it, but I like this name too much. Uh, it's former Green Bay Packers backup slash spot starter Anthony Dillwig. Okay, you're going to have to explain that one because I don't think many people remember Anthony Dillwig. Yeah, so we, so this takes me back and it's kind of like, it's kind of plucky, but it takes me back to a, a time where quarterbacks and, and players used to hold out, uh, you know, more often. And in 1990, uh, the Packers were just coming off a 10 and 6 season under head coach Lindy Infante, who used to be a Green oh, Bay yeah. quarterback. Oh, yeah. And, and, and so I was, and obviously at the time I was like four years old. So obviously it wasn't something I watched in real time, but going back and studying the league, uh, I watched the NFL films and I'm like, okay, who's this number eight? Who's this joker starting a quarterback for Green Bay in week one of a year where Don McCuskey just made the, the Pro Bowl? 
And apparently Mikowski was holding out, as was Bobby Hebert, who actually held out the entire year for the Saints in 1990. And so Anthony Dillwig started uh, the first couple games uh, for Mikowski. He actually had a brilliant game in week one in a win against Jim Everett and the Los Angeles Rams. He went, uh, let me look at this, 20 for 32 for 248, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and a pass rating of 117.7, despite the fact that the Packers, led by Brent Fullwood, rushed for just 27 yards in that game. Who are Uh, these people? Yeah. Vince, as uh, as Chris Berman said, Vince Workman, my way back to you, babe, only had 40 yards in that game. Wow. Uh, So... So they won that game 36 to 24. It was not a harbinger for things to come for Green Bay who finished six and 10 that year. Okay. So mine, and that's just a great story and it's beautiful. And I cried a little. Um, <laughs> mine is Mike Tomzak. It's great. It's a I great one. I don't think anyone in the whole world. Now he could have been easily our journeyman quarterback of the week for Chicago. Or if the Vikings sometime soon play Pittsburgh, those are the ones where you'd say Mike Tomzak. I want to use it for Green Bay because it's wonderful that he was Green Bay's quarterback just for 1991. He had a contract holdout in 1992 and ended up getting cut and playing for the Cleveland Browns the following season. But in 91, he started seven games, went two and five in the pre-Farve era for the uh, Green Bay Packers. And he averaged six yards an attempt, had a 72 quarterback rating, and went on years and years later in 1996 to have a 10 and five season as the starter for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And there's some great stats here with teams that he landed onto because he was on the 85 Bears and is in the Super Bowl shuffle, by the way, and threw <laughs> through six passes in 1985 for that Super Bowl team. Got a ring. He went 21 and 10 as a starter for Chicago and completed less than 50% of his passes. It's so good. He averaged, as as a Chicago quarterback, like 100 yards a game passing and went 21-10. and And then my favorite wiki factoid, the thing we're missing here is the second stint. He didn't have a second stint. He just had long stints. Uh, But my favorite thing is in 2010, he was named the offensive coordinator of the Pittsburgh Power of the Arena Football League, where he lasted for four years. And I do not know where Mike Tomzak is these days. The the nineteen ninety one season is great. The the final year of the 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 final year of the uh, Jerry Burns era for the Vikings. The Packers that year finished four and four and twelve. They were four and eleven, and before they went into a uh, a game at the Metrodome on December twenty first, the Vikings eight and seven, looking to finish the year with a winning record. And Green Bay at four and eleven beat the Vikings twenty-seven to seven. So just another uh, Vikings letdown. That ninety-one Vikings team finishing eight and eight, probably the hollowest eight and eight of all time. They, for a schedule quirk, got to face the Phoenix Cardinals twice that year, in addition to Vinny Testaverde's Tampa Bay Buccaneers twice. So kind of an interesting, uh, you know, kind of an interesting uh, dynamic there. Still only finished eight and eight. And now that I'm looking at it, they played the Phoenix Cardinals twice in three games and yeah won 34 to 7 and 28 to 0 and still they got to do that and miss the playoffs that was a year where rich gannon and wade wilson were tag teaming the quarterback situation wade wilson threw three touchdowns and 10 picks oh man the old stats are the maybe my favorite part of the whole thing just because they're so bad like the the quarterbacks are just so terrible in the early 90s and yet some of them and they they just hung around 
for a long time. Was- so congratulations to Anthony Dillwig and Mike Tomzak, who are our journeyman quarterbacks of the week. Yeah, that that uh, that ninety one year, the any year that the Lions can make the NFC Championship game is a year to remember. You know what's freaking ridiculous with the Packers is that their backups turn out to be good quarterbacks. Matt Hasselback turns out to be like briefly a decent franchise quarterback for Seattle. Mark Brunel, I was watching the Mike Holmgren thing on a Football Life. I know you watch this too, where they almost benched Favre. For Mark Brunel, yes. who was yep. also great. Yeah, what not, did, not what? Com- they had Kurt Warner there. Like, how does this happen? They had Aaron Brooks. They traded Aaron Brooks to the Saints. How? I, I just, like, what? Like, Wisconsin is not even that far from Minnesota, yet the Vikings have never had a franchise quarterback <laughs> since Fran Tarkington. And, they, and, and the Packers have six of them. They're giving them away to other teams. Like, oh, sorry, we can't handle this extra franchise quarterback. Here you are. It's, yeah, it, it makes it's, our game really hard. Yeah, that's, that's right. If we did, if we did great backups, like, and the Packers also had some really, and obviously Aaron Rodgers was a three-year backup for them too. Right, Doug they had Peterson. Some really, they had some really funny ones: Doug Peterson, J.T. O'Sullivan, Ty Detmer. They've had some good, good, funny backups too. But yeah, as you said, backups that ended up being uh, players in the NFL. So, all right. Well, uh, we had to stretch to get a good one. Um, with Mike Tomzak and Anthony Dillwig. But we got there. We got journeyman quarterback of the week. So, Eric, uh, as always, appreciate your time uh, filling in here for Sage Rosenfels and a happy Thanksgiving to your family and all of you of whom I am thankful for that listen to the podcast. Huh? Have, uh, yeah, that's a good one. En- enjoy Lions-Bears without Marvin Jones or Mitch Trubisky playing. May God have or mercy Scott on Mitchell. all of you watching. Or Scott Mitchell. Or Herman Moore, or Brett Perryman, or Lomas Brown, Robert Porsche, David guys. Sloan. <laughs> Great tight end. Great tight end. All right. That's it. That's it. We could go on all day with this. We'll see you later on the Purple Podcast. We'll be back soon, and then there will be a football game, and we'll talk to you then. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar, or pie made with fresh cosmic crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays and Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.